very thankful for Brother Dusty's thoughts this morning, his prayer. Uh, one of the titles that Isaiah the prophet described to the Lord Jesus Christ was Prince of Peace. Of course, when we look around in the world today, we understand that, you know, when we consider that the Lord Jesus Christ came, uh, many, many would, uh, I've heard many men say that, you know, it's not necessarily this time of the year. It's really not important for us to know the exact day or time of the year in which he came, just to simply know that he did come. And he has come as he has promised that he would. And he is the Prince of Peace. And he established peace when he was here upon the earth. You say, well, Brother Stephen, that's not a true statement because there's wars over there in the Middle East, over there in Ukraine, in Israel, uh, Palestine, the world. Uh, is riddled with one war after another. It's not a time of peace here on this earth. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Prince of Peace, and He established peace, not here uh, from man to man, but between God and man. See, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled the sinners that He loved before the foundation of the world that were enemies with God, who had transgressed the commandment of God, and had gone astray. We were rebels, enemies against God. We were not seeking Him or doing anything that would please the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, being the Prince of Peace, our daysman, our mediator, the Scriptures refer to Him as, and He, uh, by His perfect life and by His uh, death, as Brother Dusty has referenced in His prayer, has reconciled us back to God. As our High Priest, by His perfect offering, uh, to God for us has forever or has forever perfected them that are sanctified and he has restored peace between God and the elect family that he bore our sins and died for there on Calvary's cross. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to call your attention to a portion of scripture found in Genesis chapter 18. I ask you to continue to pray for us as we stand before you this morning. In Genesis chapter 18, the, the chapter opens with uh, Abraham being visited by uh, three individuals. It says in verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Of course, Abraham attends to these visitors' needs. He, he uh, fetches water uh, so that he could wash their feet. He uh, provided them something to eat, something to drink. <clears throat> And then skip down to verse 9. And it says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, 
my Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. The question there in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I would pose that question to you this morning, child of God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, when we think about our limitations as human beings, there's a lot of things that are just too hard for us. Uh, you may be young and strong and uh, just feel like you can uh, grab a, a bobcat by the tail and whip him if you wanted to, but the time's going to come when you wise up and realize that you have your limitations as a human being and there's things in this world uh, that are just too hard for man. There's things that are beyond our capabilities. But is that the case with God? Is there anything that's too hard for God? <clears throat> now, the message that has been conveyed to Abraham and to Sarah here, I want you to consider, uh, and we, we sit here and we, we hear a question like that, and we say, well, certainly, there's nothing too hard for God, right? God is he's all-powerful. Anything that he sets his mind to, he does. He never has tried to do something and failed because there's nothing that's too hard for God. But consider if you were Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham's nearly 100 years old at this point in time. And Sarah's nearly 90 years old. Consider this morning if a messenger came to Brother Marvin and Sister Catherine. And I just pick on them because they're uh, available. <laughs> And, and the message was, Brother Marvin, in about 15 years or so, maybe a little more, you're going to be blessed, you and Sister Catherine, with a child. I suspect Brother Marvin, even though he knows there's nothing too hard for the Lord, if he was to receive a message like that, he would probably laugh, just like he did this morning when I said I was going to use him as an example. Sarah, it had ceased with her. Now, she was... Uh, childless and even when she was uh, of childbearing age and uh, she had the normal female cycle that is is necessary for a woman to be with child and to uh, to have children she was not blessed with children she was barren and now she has gotten to the age where it has ceased where she no longer has that normal female cycle and the messenger comes and says, about the time of, of life, the next year, you'll have a child. And that just seemed like an impossibility. Abraham's nearly 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And Sarah laughed within herself, the Scripture says. And the Lord knows the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. He knew that Sarah laughed about that. He asked the question, you know, Lord's, uh, the Lord is insulted when we underestimate Him, I, and I say rightfully so. The Lord God is never to be underestimated. All things are possible with God. There's nothing that's too hard for Him. But I want you to back up 
a chapter and notice that Sarah's not the only one that laughed at the promise of God and at this uh, promise of a child. If you back up into Genesis chapter 17, we read in verse 15 that God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, or Sarai, I'm not exactly sure how her name was pronounced, it was spelled S-A-R-A-I, but Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, shall be her name, shall her name be. So God gives her a new name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. So even Abraham, the father of faith, you know, Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, he's in that great hall of faith, and he is the father of the nation of Israel. And Father Abraham uh, is described in the Scriptures as being a friend of God. But here, uh, and we, we read that Abraham petitions God that his son by the handmaiden Hagar, you remember there was a, this promise that God had given Abraham that he would have a child, he and Sarah would have a child, uh, it was a long time in the coming. You see, uh, God, God's not in a hurry to fulfill His promises because God is not limited on time. Right. You know, my stepdad, he used to drive me crazy. Uh, I, would, uh, I miss him dearly. I love him so. And, and I tell you, it's been a little more than a year since he's been gone. But in a lot of ways, he's been gone longer than that. But uh, when he was... Uh, in his right mind and when he had uh, his physical strength uh, when I would come home from school or come home from work uh, if he had anything on his mind or any uh, jobs that he wanted done around the house and there was some daylight left and sometimes even if there wasn't much daylight left it was going to be done that day and I would I would be tired and I would want to maybe goof off or just rest and I'd say why can't we wait till Saturday to do that? I mean, Saturday will be a wide open day, no school, no work. Uh, we could just do that on Saturday. And he'd always say, I might not live to see Saturday. We're going to do it today. <laughs> and it had to be done right now. We see God's not that way. When He makes a promise, He's not in a hurry necessarily to bring it to pass because, see, God's not limited by time. God is eternal. Uh, a thousand years to God is but as a day. It's no different to God. So God had promised Abraham uh, some 20 odd years before this period of time that he was going to be blessed with a child. Now, Abraham was, was fairly old at that point in time, 75 and approximately, and, and Sarah was probably approximately 65 years old when the promise was made by God. And it just seemed like too much time was going by in Abraham and Sarah's mind. So they wanted to help God out. And Sarah gives uh, her handmaiden, Hagar, uh, to Abraham and says, well, perhaps God intended that you would have a child with my handmaiden. Maybe, that's, maybe we just misunderstood the promise of God. And of course, we know that when man uh, tries to get involved and help God fulfill His promises, a lot of times we make a mess of things. God doesn't need our help. And we shouldn't try to interject ourselves where God has not asked us to. 
There's plenty that God has asked us to do that if we would be busy doing what God has directed us to do, we wouldn't be looking for things to help God with. God's work, He is, is perfectly able uh, to complete on His own, on His own timetable, in His own way. So here we see that Abraham, uh, he, he laughs. And notice what God says in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 17. God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son, indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him. Now, Lord God, he, he makes a, a statement here that very much reminds me of the message that came uh, at the impending birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, uh, the Lord God first of all says that Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. That's a promise of God. Now this would be a miracle for Sarah at 90 years old, Abraham at 100 years old, to have a child. This would be a miracle. And I asked Alex on the way to church this morning, I, you can look up the definition of the word miracle and I, you'll get a lot of wordy definitions about uh, an event or an action or something that takes place that defies the laws of nature and human ability or human explanation or uh, it's just an unexplainable event. And Alex, I said, what's the definition of a miracle? And he said, well, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't know that I'll be able to put it as succinctly as Alex did, but he basically said, it's an act that there's no other way to explain it but God. God had to, had to be in that matter. You know, there's things that are beyond human comprehension and explanation. That's what God does. God works miracles. God's works are miraculous. And there's just no way to explain it outside of God. Here, for a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old to have a child, that's, that's a God thing. That's a miracle. There's no explanation for it outside of God. Thou shalt call his name Isaac. You know, when God gives something a name or gives someone a name, it has a significant meaning. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 17, the Lord renames Abram. That was his name given to him by his mother and father was Abram. And Abram literally meant, uh, let's see if I can find it in my center margin, exalted father. But God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And then when God renames Abraham's wife, Sarai, and changes her name to Sarah, Sarah literally means princess. You see, Abraham, God was going to fulfill his promise, and he was going to be uh, the father of a multitude. Sarah was going to be a mother, and she was going to be a princess. There was going to be royalty that would spring forth from their lineage. And then Isaac, his name literally means he that laughed. Or laughter. You see, Abraham and Sarah both, they laughed when God sent the message that y'all are going to be blessed with a child at 100 years old, 90 years old. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. But then as Sarah, as that promise is fulfilled, the laughter is associated with joy. There, when you read about the miraculous birth of Isaac, Notice what 
Sarah says in chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 6, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have children, have given children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age? And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. This child that God had promised brought laughter and joy and feasting. And I tell you, we can see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and His miraculous birth in the joy and the peace that was brought into the world by the miraculous birth of our Savior. Consider... Consider over in Luke chapter 1. We read in verse 26. And I tell you the portion of Scripture that Brother Dusty introduced with this morning. I literally read the same passage of Scripture to Sister Angel last night. And I told her, I said, that's one of my favorite uh, portions of the Scripture. When you think about uh, the birth of our Savior and when the Lord... Uh, when the announcement was made to those shepherds there, I just I love that portion of scripture, and I can see that by an eye of faith, and uh, just what a wonderful uh, I love the I love those scriptures. Here in Luke chapter one and verse twenty six, we're told, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent. Now this is referring to the sixth month of Mary's cousin's Elizabeth. Her uh, being with child, that's also a miraculous birth. Uh, the Lord was in that matter. John the Baptist would be born uh, to Mary's cousin Elizabeth. And she was barren. And she was beyond childbearing years. But the Lord God, nothing's too hard for Him. There's nothing impossible with God. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now I want you to pause right here and notice the Lord did or the Gabriel didn't say that Mary was blessed above women, but among women. You see, Mary, she's she's a, a virgin, she's a maiden, she's an Israelite, she's of the lineage of David because the prophecies, the scriptures in the Old Testament have prophesied that the Lord Jesus Christ would be of the lineage of David. But she's still a sinner. She's still, uh, there, she's not, a, uh, she's not uh, sinless. She's not uh, sinless in that regard, but she is highly favored. And I tell you, child of God, any object of God's grace a child that uh, God loves. We are all highly favored, but Mary uh, was especially favored in this regard that she was the virgin through which the prophecies and the scriptures would be fulfilled, through which the Messiah would be born, the Christ, the Son of God. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I tell you, I've, I've never uh, seen an angel. Uh, you know, those shepherds there, can you imagine uh, the fear that probably welled up within them? Uh, I, by an eye of faith, I just see it that they're uh, there in a pasture setting and it's, it's dark. 
And maybe it, you know, it's a beautiful starlit night. I don't, uh, I don't know if it was cloudy that night or not, but it's just a peaceful setting and the, the sheep are bedded down and uh, you know, they're uh, dozing off, napping. Maybe there's a little bit of, of uh, you know, just lowing in the background, but all in all, it's very quiet and peaceful. And then all of a sudden, a bright light. It's like daylight as these angels appear and make the announcement. And the host of heaven is praising and glorifying God at the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can imagine that was a, a fearful thing for those shepherds. And when this angel appears unto Mary, I can imagine the fear that would well up to see Gabriel with our natural eyes. You know, there's angels probably all around us all the time, and, and we can't see them because our natural eyes don't have the ability to see these spiritual beings. But God, sometimes in the Scriptures, He has opened uh, individuals' eyes where they can see these spiritual beings. And no doubt that would be a, a fearful thing. When she saw Him, she was troubled at His saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. You see the parallel there between the message that Gabriel brings to Mary and the message the Lord sent to Abraham and Sarah? Thou shalt conceive in thy womb. This is going to come to pass. Even though you're a virgin, even though you don't know a man, even though you haven't had any relations with your spouse, husband, Joseph, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now again, when you consider the significance of names that are given by God, Jesus literally means salvation or Savior. Uh, Brother Dusty, it was mentioned yesterday by Brother Danny, uh, we could call Brother Dusty a hunter because he hunts, right? That, now, you couldn't really call me a hunter. Uh, now, I go out and shoot some stuff sometimes. I will uh, go out and shoot something in the yard, but I don't go out there and hunt. A hunter hunts. We understand that, right? Uh, a farmer farms. You can't call me a farmer either. Now, I like to eat what farmers raise, but uh, I'm not out there farming. I'm not out there. Uh, you can't call me a farmer. You can't call me a fisherman. You know, a fisherman goes out there and fishes. I'm a catcher. Now, if, you're, if you call me and you say, Brother Stephen, I'm out here on the pond bank, and uh, every time we cast, we pull a fish in, I'm there. I'm a catcher. But as far as going out there and casting a line and just being out there all day long and not catching anything, you know, like Peter and, and those individuals that fished all night long and didn't catch a thing, when the Lord Jesus Christ asked them, Children, have you any meat? And they said, Lord, we fished all night long. We hadn't caught a thing. That's a fisherman. A fisherman fishes, even if they're not catching. Well, what is a Savior? A Savior is one that saves. The Lord Jesus Christ, He's not an individual that tries to save. He is a Savior. By definition, a Savior is He that saves. Over in Matthew one twenty one, Thou shalt have a son. His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. You can't call Jesus a Savior unless you acknowledge that He is the one that saves His people from their sins. That's what a Savior does, and that's what Jesus did. 
There's meaning in the names that God ascribes. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, this is a miraculous birth. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He walked upon the face of the earth, there were critics and there were uh, Pharisees. We have recorded in the Scriptures a time, I believe it's over in John chapter 8, where some of those Pharisees, they accused the Lord Jesus Christ of being a Samaritan. You see, there was a rumor that uh, went around about Jesus that uh, Mary had had a relation but you know, out of wedlock. Uh, it was not Joseph's child. Uh, there was a, a rumor that he was a Samaritan, that maybe a Gentile soldier had had a relationship with Mary, and that's the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived. And if that be the case then, child of God, we are still in our sins. I tell you, the, the, the doctrine of the birth of the virgin is very important. This was a miraculous birth. This was a God thing, just as God described here in Luke chapter 1 and 35. You see, Jesus is the only child that could be called a holy thing. The angel said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And you say, well, Brother Stephen, I thought, I thought that uh, all little babies uh, were just innocent. I thought they were all pure. I thought they were all uh, holy when they came out of their mother's womb. That's not the case, child of God. I, I want to educate you on that if that is uh, what you've been taught or what you understand. Over in Psalm chapter 51... Notice what David says in verse 5. Speaking of himself, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Over in the book of Job, the question is asked. In Job chapter 14 and verse 4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. So, Job asked the question and David makes the point that it is impossible to bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. A mother that is defiled by sin has a sin nature. A father that is defiled by sin has a sin nature. The mother and the father are both sinners, not only by nature, but by practice, by uh, the sins that we've committed, the sins of commission, the sins of omission. We have proved time and time again that we are sinners. And how can a mother or father that are sinners in that regard, and if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all transgressed the commandments of God. And how can two unclean people that are sinners come together and have a child and there be a clean thing come from an unclean? That's impossible. It's not going to happen. That child is going to have the same nature 
That same sin nature as their mother and their father. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a birth unlike any other birth that's ever taken place. There's been billions of births upon the face of the earth. But the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is unlike any other. You see, His mother is a virgin. His mother, Mary, is a sinner. And she is the one which His human nature comes from. His humanity comes from. But the Holy Ghost is His uh, God. The, he is the Son of the Highest. His Father is in heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is God. His name ascribed, the many names ascribed to Him there in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 when we read about the Son, uh, the Messiah, the promise of... Well, actually in Isaiah chapter 7 you could read about this prophecy about the virgin... Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. But Isaiah 9 and 6, notice all these titles that are, are ascribed to the child that would be born to the virgin. In verse 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I tell you, notice there that the child is born. For unto us a child is born of the virgin. But that was not the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not uh, the starting time where the Lord Jesus Christ, we can point to that time 2,000 years ago and say, that's when the Lord Jesus Christ came into being. No, because notice the next phrase, unto us a son is given. He was a son before He was born to the Virgin Mary. We get more light onto exactly the nature of this individual. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The son that is given, the child that is born, is also the Everlasting Father. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. They are one. There's no separation, there's no uh, division between the Father and the Son. They are equally God. And, and Brother Dusty talked about peace this morning. The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. I tell you, child of God, that's good news, is it not? The peace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about wars. You think about natural wars. World War I. Uh, you know, World War I came to an end, right? I'm not a history teacher like, like some of the preachers. But I, I know that World War I had an end. And I know that there were some men from both sides that got, got together and they, they established some kind of peace treaty. Well, did that peace last right on? Of course it did not. It lasted till World War II. I guess that was the next war. I don't know. Maybe there was something in between, in between there. But uh, there was an end to that peace, right? But the peace that our Prince of Peace has established, there is no end to that. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, He established a perfect peace between... Uh, God and the sinners that were reconciled. And that brings peace to my soul. I, I, I would love that uh, when God 
quickened me and regenerated me, and I know you would love for it to be the same way too. When He uh, wrote His laws in my mind and in my heart, I would love uh, to always be able to keep those laws and always uh, follow the leadership of the Spirit perfectly and never have a time when I'm convicted that I've sinned against God or sinned against my Heavenly Father or, or done that which I shouldn't have done or, or said that which I shouldn't have said. But so many times in my experience, that is my case, where I say, I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done that. I know better. God has taught me better in my heart. I've read in His Word. And even if I haven't read in His Word, He has convicted me by His Holy Spirit that I should not have conducted myself in that way. That was conduct unbecoming for a child of the King. For a child of the Heavenly Father. But aren't you thankful, child of God, to know that our Prince of Peace, even when we fall short, there's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can say that's going to interrupt the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ has established. The Prince of Peace. Of that peace which He hath established, there is no end. And it just continues to increase for eternity. So this was a child that was conceived unlike any other child. This child was not conceived the way David was. Was not conceived in iniquity. But the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. <laughs> you remember the question that God asked Abraham and Sarah? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, as Mary is, is listening to the message that Gabriel is delivering, and he's saying, you're a virgin, you know not a man, but you're going to conceive a child. <laughs> Certainly Mary could have said, well, that's impossible. But the angel goes ahead and explains, nothing shall be impossible with God. You know, that reminds me there of the account of the rich young ruler when he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he's asking the question about what he must do to inherit eternal life. And, of course, you remember the, there are several accounts in the Gospels about that interchange between the Lord Jesus Christ and the rich young ruler. Jesus points him to the law. And the rich young ruler, he has uh, convinced himself that he is, is holy and he's established his own righteousness and uh, he's kept the law since he was uh, very young. He's kept the law. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks upon him there in Mark and loves him. It says he loved him. And he knows this rich young ruler has not kept the law of God perfectly. He knows he's not established his own righteousness in God's eyes. And he also knows that this young man is covetous. He's got riches. And he loves those riches. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks upon him. Loved him. He said, I tell you what. Sell everything that you've got. And follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad. Because he had great possessions. Now, why would an individual... Go away sad. This man had everything as far as the world is concerned. He, was, he had his youth. And if you've got your youth this morning, I'm going to tell you, enjoy it. Because it don't last long. <laughs> uh, 
uh, it goes quick. I tell you, it's just amazing how, how fast the time goes. He was young. He had power. He was a ruler in this world. And he had riches. Why was it that he went away sad? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ had just busted his bubble. The Lord Jesus Christ, this man came asking a question he thought he already had an answer to. He thought he already uh, knew what he had to do to, to inherit eternal life, which that's, uh, I heard a pretty good explanation, a uh, sermon by Brother Adam recently. Uh, when, you're, when you're asking what you need to do to inherit something, uh, that's a kind of a silly question because we don't do anything to inherit something. If we try to do something to inherit something, normally uh, that's against the law. <laughs> If we try to do something to bring about an inheritance, there's usually some foul play involved there. But anyway, uh, this man felt like he could establish his own righteousness before God with his works. And Jesus Christ has just opened his eyes to the fact that he's covetous. And if he's covetous, that means he's broken God's law. And if he's broken God's law, that means it's impossible for him to establish his own righteousness. And if it's impossible for him to establish his own righteousness, what are the wages of sin? It's death, hell. What is he rightfully deserving of? And that, way, that man went away sad. I tell you, child of God, there would have been uh, great joy and peace if he could have if he would have been willing to forsake the riches of this world and to take up his cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine the joy and the peace and the comfort that would have come to his soul uh, walking with his Savior and being taught by Jesus Christ while he was here on the earth? But he traded that for, for the wealth and the riches of this world. That's a poor trade. He had everything this world could offer and he was sad. <laughs> I tell you, he could have, he could have left all that left all that baggage and followed his, the lover of his soul, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you remember the question that his disciples asked as this rich young ruler goes away? Let's see if I can find that over in Mark. In Mark chapter 10, I believe it is. says the rich young ruler was sad at that saying. The Lord had told him, said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? And that's a, that's a principle that Jesus taught in other places uh, as well. We cannot serve two masters. A man cannot serve mammon, mammon or, or riches of this world and serve God. There's no way to put both first. Because you're either going to love the one and hate the other, there's no way. You have to put the Lord first. This rich young ruler was not willing to forsake the world and take up his cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went away sad because of it. And child of God, I would, I would tell us the same thing this morning. If, we're, if there's anything in this world that we love more than God, if there's anything more that we love in this world that we're going to put on a higher standing 
than the Lord God and His church, then we're going to be miserable. Now Satan will convince you otherwise. Satan will convince you that you can find fulfillment outside of the Lord's church. Satan will convince you that if you uh, put your career first, and if you uh, sacrifice and spend hours and hours and, and give yourself to your job, that you'll find fulfillment there and that you'll uh, find joy and peace. But I tell you, the end of that is going to be vanity, child of God. But you put the Lord first. This rich young ruler was not willing to do that. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Is there anything too hard for God? I tell you, child of God, of course we know the answer is no. There's nothing impossible with God. There's nothing too hard for God. You remember the, the portion of Scripture over in John 17 that Brother Danny referenced? Well, some of you weren't here yesterday. John 17, the Lord Jesus Christ in John 17 and 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son also may glorify Thee as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. The Lord Jesus Christ clearly says that He has power, He has authority over all flesh, over all men, to give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. So child of God, here's a question for you. Is there anything too hard for God? And I think everybody here would say, Brother Stephen, there's nothing too hard for God. Do you understand there's children of God this morning that would tell you or they have been taught that the Lord God, there are objects of His love that He has a desire to save, that He has a desire to give them a home in heaven. But there's, a, there's some reason, there's some failure on those objects of His love. There's some... Uh, lack of obedience, there's some kind of uh, lack of action on those individuals' parts that causes them to end up in hell where the, where the fire is never quenched, the worm uh, never dies, their suffering has no end, and God loved those individuals and He had a desire to save them, but there's something that was just too hard for God. He wanted to save them. He loved them. But it was too hard for God to bring that to pass. Is anybody here this morning that believes that? Do you believe there's anything too hard for God? <laughs> Do you believe there's anything that He is unable to accomplish? Do you believe if He's got a child that He loves, it's, with, it's beyond His power to save that object of His love? I tell you, child of God, there's nothing that's too hard for God. And it's a miracle. And anyone that, that God loves and has a home in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, all these things that God does, they're miracles. <laughs> you know, when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be there the exact same way. A miracle of God's grace. There's not going to be any of us that are going to be in heaven and we're going to say, well, the reason I'm here is because 
you know, I studied the Scriptures, and, and when I read the Scriptures, I saw that there was uh, this act of obedience and this act of obedience and this decision that I had to make, and I had to open up my heart, and there was things in my heart that I had to clean out so I could make room for Jesus, because when I first read them, I was just like, you know, when the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, there was no room for Him in the end. Well, there was a time in my life where I had so much clutter and I had so much of the world, but I sanctified myself and I removed all that stuff from my heart and I made room for the Lord Jesus Christ and I opened my heart and let Him in and that's why I'm here in heaven. I promise you, child of God, that will not be my story in heaven. <laughs> and that will not be your story in heaven. And that will not be a single child of God's, uh, an object of His love and a child of grace. That will not be any of our story. You know what our story will be? Praise, honor, and glory to the Lamb that was slain. <laughs> Praise, honor, and glory to the perfect sacrifice. That perfect holy child that was born of the Virgin Mary. That child that was ho uh, harmless. He was... Uh, can't quote it now, it's over in Hebrews. <clears throat> For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. The Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, He's going to get all the praise, honor, and glory. See, God, God, it's a miracle that God loves any of us because we're, we were unlovable. It's a miracle that God loves a sinner. That God loves rebels. That God loves those that are enemies with Him. We hated Him. We were going contrary to God. And it was when we were in that condition, when we were in that state, when we were polluted in our own blood, when we were polluted in our own sins, that God looked down in His own mercy and He loved us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, He looked down and He said, Lord... I'll go, to, I'll go to that sin-cursed world before the first molecule of dust was ever created. They entered into the covenant of grace and the Lord Jesus Christ said, I love them and I'll go down there to that dusty uh, low ground of sin and sorrow and I'll uh, be born of the virgin and I'll be laid in the manger and I'll uh, walk that earth and I'll be ridiculed and mocked and I'll live the perfect life. And I'll submit myself and I'll fulfill your perfect and holy law to every jot and every tittle. And I'll submit myself to death, even the cruel, shameful death of the Roman cross. And I'll be spat upon. And I'll be ridiculed. And I'll be mocked. And I'll let them pluck the beard off my face. And I'll let them pierce my hands and my feet. And drive the nails as they nail me to the cross. And as they pierce my side with a spear. And I'll bear the judgment and the wrath. And I'll drink the cup of thy divine wrath. Down to the very dregs. Even though there's no sin in my body. And my righteousness will be imputed to, to all the elect family of God. And their sins will be imputed to me and dealt with there on Calvary's cross. And in doing so, the Prince of Peace will establish peace between God and His elect family. And it will be a peace without end and without increase. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, child of God. And if He was not born of the Virgin, if He was not holy, we are still in our sins. 
Because you see, a sacrifice that's made to God had to be perfect. And the Lord God, he, he got angry with Israel back here in Malachi because they would bring the sick and the lame and the torn, and that's what they would sacrifice. The Lord was not pleased with that. The Lord was not, he was not satisfied with any of those sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament. Now, there were sacrifices that were offered uh, that were appropriate, that were uh, shadows and types of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to be a lamb without spot, without blemish of the first year. And see, that's an appropriate picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a lamb without spot, without blemish. There was no sin in Him. He did not have a sin nature. He was all man, but He was also all God. And thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift in giving us His darling Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for your kind attention.